Welcome to Collision, where faith and doubt collide. My name is Nick Flores, and I'm your host, and welcome back to episode 9 of Collision. This week we have a special guest, but before we get there, I just want to continue to thank everybody for listening in and tuning into the show. It has been an incredible journey, just again, listening to people's stories. Um, Many of these people I grew up with, and we've done life together, um, and I just think it's like super courageous of everybody to just get on here to share their story um, and their experience with um, the church, Jesus, God, faith, people, religion, spirituality, um, and a number of other things. And so I think it's super courageous of everybody to get on and just want to continue to shout out to them and love them um, for Again, just sharing the freedom that they found um, coming out on the other side. And again, thank you to everybody following us on Instagram and TikTok at Collision Podcast. If you aren't doing so already, um, please go in and hit the follow. Um, that is super helpful to get more of these stories out there against, you know, the albeit algorithm. Um, and so, yeah. So this week I want to introduce Joel Frizee, a longtime friend of mine. And um, we grew up together from, I don't even remember, like early, early thousands. Um, so we were like, I was in first, maybe his second grade kindergarten-ish is when we started um, our paths kind of crossed because our, our parents were friends and um, we went to the same church. Our families were in the same um, home fellowship studies on Fridays. Um, and so I remember a lot of, a lot of the times when my parents were out working, um, him and his family would um, kind of babysit us. Well, Joel wouldn't babysit me. We were only an age age year difference. He was a year older than me. Um, but we grew up together. He, uh, man, such crazy times just to look back on the good and the ugly. But um, Joel's story is one that should continue to be listened to. I mean, Sheridan, I just want to thank him for coming on here and being super honest and transparent with everyone um, on his experience. So without further ado, here is Collision with Joel Frizee. Thank you again, everybody, for listening. It's been a long time. It's been a very long time. Um, I'd say probably like a decade, maybe. Yeah, just about. How have you been? Been good. Um, I live out in Fallbrook now. Um, Just, you know, working, live with my fiance. Um, I have a pretty boring life, honestly. Cool. Well, thanks for hopping on. I'd love to create the platform for kind of anybody who wants to share their their story. Um, I kind of just started this podcast because I feel like there's a lot of hurt inside people that grew up in church, um, specifically Christian evangelical churches. And it's just, it's kind of also a way for me to put the mirror up to myself as well of like, am Mm -hmm. I loving people as I say I should? Am I creating space for people, especially during COVID and like, you know, the whole, everything was like a pressure cooker and their like opinions were like super high. 
and I was just like, oh, I'm going to post mm-hmm. online about like Black Lives Matter, or I'm just going to like post about LGBTQ um, rights. But I'm like, am I actually being an ally to these people and like loving them by just posting on Instagram, you know, and even for like, any type for of person, sure. whether it's trauma related or whatever. Um, and so I'm like, I'm going to try to be represent what I believe Jesus would have done, which is sit with people and listen to their stories. I know in my journey, um, and we obviously haven't talked in a long time, but in my journey, I feel like I was hurt. I've, I've hurt some people. Um, and then in return, those people hurt me and abandoned me. And then when it came time to came time around where I hurt some people again, I was like, Oh, I'm going to pull out, um, from the community before someone else mm-hmm. can hurt me. And so that, kind of just shaped a lot of my view of who God is. Um, and a lot of it was negative and I've been on, uh, on my own journey and I don't expect everyone to, whether like deconstruct or reconstruct everyone, it's free to do it however they want. But, um, this podcast is a place for people to share those stories openly, um, ask questions, even though people's stories are sending totally mixed signals of like, Oh, should I be a Christian? Oh no, you shouldn't be a Christian. It's like, no, this is that space where, um, both of those, we can have those open conversations and ask those questions and, and grow in whichever way um, we feel led to. So, yeah. Does that make sense? Well, it totally makes sense. Um, cool. I'm excited to be a part of it um, as someone who grew up in the exact same church that you did. Um, mm-hmm. I definitely feel a lot of kinship in the whole sharing opinions and then having a lot of people not really like those opinions once you voice them and people that you thought were like really close to you and who you thought were loving people um kind of not really exhibit that love for people that you think that they should and just kind of like the dissonance that that causes um i definitely can i can identify with that pretty heavily oh well, we'll just start there. We'll kind of just start open-ended. You can share the story that Joel wants to share. You can share your story. Um, and we'll just... I'm going to turn the cameras off, actually, just because of um, lag and bandwidth and all that fun stuff. No worries. But it will, it will still record video. So, uh, okay. let's see. just want you to be aware that you are... I'll try and uh, not make it faces for it <laughs> oh no you're good and this is totally like a work in progress i have no idea what i'm doing so um here we go no worries. okay yeah so welcome okay, to so- the podcast and just just kind of start what can you just speak about your upbringing in the church and christian faith and etc and we'll just go from there sure um my name is joel Frizee. um i grew up in Vista, California. Um, and ever since I could remember, I was a Christian. Um, both of my parents were Christian and were heavily, heavily involved with, um, the local church that I grew up, that we both grew up going to, Mm -hmm. uh, Calvary Vista. I'm going to try and not name names like super hard. Um, cause I don't, I don't know. I don't feel like calling people out by name. That's just not something that I'm like that interested in, but, I I will share my experiences and, you know, what happened to me growing up in that environment. Um, so I grew up at Calvary Vista um, because my parents were heavily, heavily involved. Um, and both of them have been 
pastors on staff at Calvary Vista at different times um, throughout my life. Um, it always just felt like growing up, like when I was a kid, it was like something that I didn't really um, have much of a choice. It just felt like something that I just was as a result of like the, I don't know, like the culture is just like completely all encompassing. Um, I was spending like so much of my life there, not just um, on like Sunday mornings um, because my parents were on staff for so much of that time. I would be there Sunday. Um, and this is before I even started going to the school. I'd be there Sunday morning. Sometimes I'd be there at Sunday night, Wednesday night for youth group. Um, and then sometimes there'd be like, well, once we started getting into like junior high and high school, we'd have home fellowships, we'd have all kinds of events. So the church was really like my complete life for probably like the first 20 or so years of my life. I was just like completely wrapped up in Christianity and the church. Um, and so much of it, it didn't feel, I know that um, my, one of my fa mom's favorite, one of my mom's favorites memories of me growing up was that we went to um, the big harvest festival, the harvest crusade up in Orange County. And, um, you know, they had the big uh, altar call there. And me being a young kid, I saw all these people going down on the field and it was a big, it's a big emotional event. It's designed um, to create an emotional response in you. And I saw all these people and I was like, what's going on with them? They all seem like so wrapped up in this. I want to, I want to join them. I was probably like five or six years old. And all I knew was that like everyone here was fully on board with this idea. And I wanted, I wanted to share in it. I wanted to join in what they were feeling. Um, so I asked my mom if I could go down onto the field and, you know, accept God as my savior. Um, but that's not something you really have any like conception of when you're like six years old. It's just like, my parents are very Christian. I know that it's a big deal to them. I'm in this environment where almost everyone around me is Christian. And I was like, I, I want to be fully on board. So I went down there. I remember it being, you know, a very, emotional event. I remember it being a very cool thing. I mean, like being on the field in a major league baseball stadium is a, a big deal. Um, and it, you know, growing up in it, it kind of felt like sec second nature for like most of my life. Like, um, I just was Christian. I was always in the church. And then I started going to Calvary, um, the school side in fourth grade. So it then literally became my entire life. Like I was there every single day, except for Saturdays, pretty much. Um, I was at the church for one reason or another. Um, so it's not, it's not an understatement to say that the church was my life. It like completely enveloped me. I was fully encased inside of the Christian bubble. Um, and I don't know. I, I felt really a part of it and it felt like a family for a lot of it, but there were also, there's also like a long strain of like toxic masculinity within that church, um, that like affect, that affected all of us. Um, and I know that it affected me probably the heaviest when I was a freshman in high school. Um, 
I, it was like a little bit when I was in junior high, but like in junior high, you're still kind of like a kid. Um, but like once you transition to high school, it's kind of seen as this big event where you're, you're an adult now and people are going to start like treating you, you know, kind of like an adult. Um, and freshman year of camp, I got hazed. I got hazed pretty heavily. Um, and it was a really, it was an unpleasant experience. I mean, it's not something that you really are looking forward to having happen, uh, you know, going up to a summer camp where you're excited about becoming, like, you're excited about being seen as a peer among all the upperclassmen and, uh, you know, being seen as an adult, as someone to be taken seriously. And then those people embarrass you in a really, you know, fundamental way. Um, you obviously weren't there because you're a year younger than me, but the year that I was a freshman, like the culture was really, really rough. It was really toxic. Um, there was a lot of bullying, um, definitely a lot of homophobia. I mean, not even just in the church itself, just kind of like, the time period that we grew up in homophobia was something that was just like ever present in the culture. Right. Um, and going into, going into summer camp, I really wanted to stand out and I wanted to make a bold fashion choice. So I, at the time period, I had a lot more hair. I dyed, a like a spot of like copper here and here on my head. Cause I wanted mm -hmm. to look, you know, like uh, a member of Taking Back Sunday or something. I wanted to seem, you know, dangerous and edgy and cool. Uh, so I had, like, had a crazy hairstyle. And a lot of people said slurs to me because of that. I was accused of being gay as a result. Um, pretty much anything, like, any kind of not, you know, fitting in with everyone else in the way that you dress was, like, going to get you called um, like the F word, people were going to say that you were gay, um, and make fun of you and bully you because of that. So going to high school camp, I had that going for me. I was five foot two. I was really small compared to pretty much everyone else. So I knew I was going to be a target. Um, and riding, riding up in the bus, I remember, uh, they were like all the upperclassmen were talking it up like how how much hazing they were going to do to all of us when we got up there they were like making a big deal out of it like oh we're going to get you freshmen like so hard we're gonna you better you better be ready because it's going to be really brutal so the whole bus ride up there was just like this fear of like what's going to happen when i finally get up there like how how is this going to play out i can tell that i'm really small and I have like a silly hairstyle, so I'm probably going to get it pretty badly. Um, and the first night, we're in the cabins, and uh, they were like getting ready to haze all of us, and they're making a big deal out of it. And they asked um, if anyone wanted to volunteer for, for their hazing. They, if they choose what they, how they get hazed, it's going to be a little bit easier for you. So. I volunteered because I was small and I had a feeling that I was going to get hazed pretty badly. So I said, I'll do it. And they said what they wanted me to do 
was to strip naked and run uh, through the other cabin. So I know you're familiar with the layout of the Green Valley cabins, but for anyone who you know is listening to this and who didn't go to summer camp with all of us, uh, the men's cabins, there was like a cabin here, a bathroom that separated, and then another cabin. So Calvary Vista was in this cabin. There's a big bathroom that separates from the other bunks. And in the other bunks were uh, Maranatha, I think, which were like our, our big Calvary Vista rivals. So I said, sure, I'll go for it. I think if I volunteer for this, maybe it'll be a little bit easier on me. Maybe I'm not going to get, uh, I'm not going to get bullied as hard. So I volunteered and everyone's watching me. I'm pretty sure someone was even filming, which is crazy to think about now that like there might be a video of like me 15 naked. Um, so I volunteered for it and I said, I'll do it. I'll run through the other cabin and I'm, I'm willing to step up because I wanted hopefully one of them to respect me a little bit and take it easy on me because I was willing to do it. And everyone's watching me. I'm down to just my boxers and I take off my boxers and get completely naked and run from our cabin into the bathroom. And waiting in the bathroom were like six or seven seniors who grabbed me and like wrapped me up in a towel and ran me out like carrying a log uh, out of the cabins and then down the hill a little bit. And there was like a little pond that was like covered in like moss and algae and like all kinds of gross stuff. And they just tossed me right in there, Um, which was very embarrassing. And I did not enjoy at all. Um, it was rough. I, I didn't enjoy that at all. Uh, I felt like really embarrassed and really ashamed. I didn't want anyone to like look at my body because, you know, I'm like a little tiny like boy who's pretending to be a man. And, you know, I don't want anyone to see like my naked body because that's a, an incredibly shameful thing especially in the the culture that we grew up in, in like purity culture, like you don't want, you know, anyone to see you completely naked, something to be ashamed of. And uh, like this happened and all of the, like the high school pastor at the time and the assistant high school pastor at the time, all the counselors like saw it, saw it happen to me. And like one of them handed me a towel after I got out of the pond, but like, it's tough to like really feel like that grateful for like the bare minimum. Um, like these are the people that like me as like a young guy and I'm looking up to and I'm expecting to protect me and I'm supposed to put my trust in them. And like literally the first night that I'm in high school camp, I'm like essentially forced and like threatened to get naked and then thrown into a pond. So, like, I say that story to just, you know, establish, like, how rough it could be um, at times for for guys and, like, the way that they treated each other. Um, And after that point, they didn't, like, they didn't stop doing hazing after that happened to me. They hazed all the other freshmen, and I think they, they 
stopped doing it that camp because yeah. um, one of the kids like freaked out and like headbutted an older guy and like ran into the woods and a bunch of like counselors were like sent out looking for him, you know, mm-hmm. in the woods trying to find this kid who got so frightened of like what the upperclassmen were threatening to do to him that he decided I'm just going to chance it and run into the forest. Um, so like being, being a freshman and having that be like my introduction to camp and then like the rest of the week, people knew me as like the naked kid. Like that was what people like remembered me as and would ask me if I was the kid who got thrown into the pond, which is definitely not like the first idea that you want people to have in their heads of you as a freshman, like trying to establish like a new, um, new personality, new reputation among all these older people. Um, so there was definitely, um, that was definitely something that started to make me feel really alienated uh, as like a guy in that right. environment. I, I never really felt like I matched up to their idea of masculinity. And as a result, I started to like feel alienated um, from, from the other guys in the group. Um, But still like, I didn't think there was any other alternative. So I continued to like be a part of the culture because that that was the only, the the only option I had was I'm going to school here. I'm going to church here. These are all people who I look up to and I just have to like tough it out and um, like, you know, pretend that like I'm okay with it, even though like it definitely really upset me. And I was definitely like crying that night, but I was like trying to hide it because it's, you know, that's another thing you're not supposed to feel as a guy. You're not supposed to cry in front of anyone. You're not supposed to like be vulnerable a lot of times. Um, so. That happened freshman year, which was really rough. Um, that's probably like kind of the beginning of me seeing like cracks in things, but it didn't, none of that like really, um, like broke open until like I became an adult. So I'm continuing in the church, but that's just like to illustrate what the, what the culture could be like at times that it was like, so toxically masculine that guys were were bullying each other and hazing each other pretty badly um and it was something i know i myself have not always been perfect and i know that um i've i've been cruel to other people in my life and i've had the opportunity to to apologize to them now that we've been adults um but like when that happened to me as a freshman it was something that like I made a promise to myself in that moment that like when I became an upperclassman, I wasn't going to ever treat any of the underclassmen like that because I remembered how brutal it was and how embarrassing it was to have that be, you know, your first impression that everyone makes of you at summer camp is that you're the tiny gay kid who got thrown into, um, into a pond. And like, that's, that's not anything anyone wants their reputation to be. Um, so like I, I told myself like when I become 
an upperclassman. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna do that. I'm not gonna haze any of these underclassmen. They don't deserve that. Uh, nobody deserves to be treated that way. It's awful. Um. So. I only say that because I wanted to, you know, just illustrate it, it, it was it it was a pretty it's a male dominated culture in the church. And even being a man um, and someone who, you know, the whole system is set up to benefit you. It's easy to like still like end up on a lower tier, even as a man, because they're it's just like it's ruthless and really toxic. Um, so. I continue through high school, um, and I start to, like, not like myself a lot because, you know, I, I feel a lot of shame about my body. A lot of it started right there, um, you know, being small and being seen as weak and, you know, being tossed into a pond naked. Um, I didn't like myself for a lot of time in high school and I felt really insecure. Um, and you know, one of the big things, um, about being like a young person in the church environment as well is purity culture, which definitely doesn't contribute to you, uh, having like a good self image either. Um, so like you're never given any kind of like tools on how to like actually have like a relationship with women at that time. So I like, I honestly didn't date anybody until I was like 17, maybe. Um, that was the first time like I was able to like figure out how to like ask someone on a date that like I hadn't known since like fourth grade. Um, so like you're not it it's rough one of my big complaints about purity culture is it obviously sets women up for failure like it's obviously like almost all of the onus is put on women that like you're not only responsible for yourself and your body and how um how like it's perceived like you're also responsible for how every man in um in the congregation perceives you and whether or not they see you as like a sexual object that's also like a woman's fault in purity culture um but it it sets men up it also sets men up for failure which is like it's it's bad for everyone like men aren't given good tools to like share their feelings in an honest way um you're definitely not um you're definitely not encouraged to um, like think about women in a respectful way because like it's all just like suppression of sexuality. And then you're just told like once you marry, everything's totally cool and you're just going to be able to have sex like all the time. Like that's something that like in Bible class, like people who are, you know, in small groups with guys, you know, they're always telling you like, oh, you know, don't touch yourself. Don't, um, don't ever have any sexual thoughts. That's lust. That's impure. But like, oh, just wait until like you get married. Oh man, everything just becomes like so great immediately. And 
You're not going to feel any, you're not going to feel any shame. You're not going to feel any self-hatred. You're just going to be full on like God honoring love making from that point on. Um, so like I didn't grow up with healthy ideas of like how to think about women. I didn't grow up with healthy ideas on like how to have a relationship with them. Um, and it sets you up for failure because if you don't have any sexual education, you're only told, you know, don't do that and be ashamed if you do. Um, it creates like shame and like secrecy. Like you want to like, there are, there are two outcomes in my opinion, when you're like raised in this environment, either you create like a little police officer in your head who like monitors all of your sinful impulses. And then that person like is just sitting up there telling you like, no, don't do that. That's not good. That's bad. Uh, you're sinning right now. You should feel bad about it you, because you are a sinner and you, you know, you're constantly told you have no self-worth. Like you can do nothing without Christ. Um, you're basically just like completely worthless and there's no good in you. So like that continues to create this like cycle in your head of like, I'm a bad person. I should feel shame about myself. I shouldn't like myself because God is the only thing about me that's good and is worth, um, you know, worth talking about or worth celebrating. So you either you have like a police officer in your head or uh, you just get really good at lying to people and deceiving people and like being so guarded that you're never, ever like letting anyone like see the real vulnerable you. Um, so I felt not like I felt kind of that, like I couldn't trust some people because I got hazed pretty immediately. So you begin once like, because I didn't have any sexual education and I didn't, I grew up incredibly sheltered. I don't think I became like, sexually aware of myself at all until I was like 17. So it's very like easy to exist in this kind of like, you're just coasting with Christianity up until that point. Cause like the worst thing that can like, you can do is like, you were rude to your friend, like on a forum, like you said, like a bad word or you like stole a cookie from like the cookie jar in your parents place. But then once you start like having to grapple with like, I'm coming into like sexual maturity and I'm having sexual thoughts, you begin to like hate yourself even more and like really, really um, like dial into that and not like yourself. Um, so for so much of high school, I f didn't like myself at all. I thought like I should be ashamed of myself. Um, I thought, you know, having totally normal teenage thoughts were something that was super, super sinful. And I should feel a lot of shame about them. Um, and it creates like secrecy in you. So like there were pieces of myself that I just like wasn't telling people. Like there is no, why would I tell someone that like I looked at pornography when now everyone knows that that's something that you did and everyone like looks at you differently. It's like couched in a lot of words like, oh, I struggled like you have to like because sexuality is so like verboten and taboo, like 
you create all these different words to obscure exactly what you're talking about. But like, you're, it's still like incredibly embarrassing to talk about that. And like the activity of like sitting around in a circle with like a 20 year old youth pastor and then like your friends and being like, I, I looked at pornography and I masturbated. Like that's the worst thing that you could like admit out loud to like your friends and your peer group. And like, you want to avoid that as much as possible. So people begin to like, just lie about it. And I started doing that because I, I felt incredibly uncomfortable. I didn't want people to perceive me as being a sexual being because, you know, I was ashamed of my body. I uh, pretty much everyone had seen me naked and I wasn't a fan of that. It wasn't, you know, by my will. So, you know, you begin, you begin, you know, starting this secrecy around like your sexuality. Um, so I started having, you know, I became sexually aware when I was 17. And as a result, I start like really, really disliking myself. Um, and I'm just to put it out there. I'm just a straight guy. I only like women, but like having like sexual thoughts about women became like a shameful thing and something that like I would want to hide. And I didn't want people to be aware of because, you know, it's something you're taught that you should be ashamed of. You know, you're falling into lust. Um, so because I grew up in this environment with no education around sexuality and feeling intense shame and, you know, a dislike of myself, um, pretty much the first girl that I ended up with outside of high school, like I immediately lost my virginity to her. And I felt horrible about it and like immediately like said to both myself and to her, like, I don't want to be a hypocrite. I'm just going to leave Christianity. So I like at 18, I decided like I was like, I'm out because like I don't want I don't want to be someone who goes in to church on Sunday mornings and pretend like I'm totally OK and I'm all right because I I was just sick of that. I was sick of pretending like everything was okay. And, you know, I'm just the perfect pastor's kid. I've never done anything wrong in my life. And I just, I was over it. So I decided I wanted to leave. Um, but I also like, I went to a private Christian school and I didn't have a lot of tools to succeed in the real world. And I went to school up in Portland and I was just like, so intensely infatuated with, you know, the woman that I lost my virginity to, we were in a relationship that I like dropped out of school to move back home to San Diego because I was just like, well, I've had sex with one woman. I've obviously got to marry her or else like whoever I end up with next is going to be stuck with this horrible sinner and they're never going to, you know, no Christian woman's going to want me because I've lost my virginity now. Um, and like, I'm not saying that as something that like I made up on my own, like in like class at school, we would have, you know, like we'd have like talks about sexuality because we're all teenagers and, you know, purity culture is just like the biggest deal in the school. And like they did the, what is it? It's like a picture lesson where like you take like two like cutouts, paper cutouts of people and you glue them together 
and you go, okay, like, so say I'm going to make up a name, uh, Tamantha and Joel, they're going up to the front and, you know, they go, okay, so say Tamantha and Joel, they like each other and they decide they're going to have sex. When you do that, it's a sticky thing. And, you know, if Tamantha like does that, she's taking a little piece and they like physically like ripped the paper apart. And they're like, that's a, that's a little piece of Tamantha's heart that she can no longer give to her husband, which like creates this really damaging idea in your head that like, if you have sex, you're in a, you're going to be an incomplete person from that point on, unless it's in the confines of marriage. So like, I, I felt like I had done this like cardinal sin and that like, I, there was no way of going back. And I just like freaked out. I was like, I'm, I'm out. I'm not a Christian anymore. I'm not going to go to the church. Um, and obviously because, you know, I was 18 and I didn't have any real, uh, relationship experience with any women. And she was also, you know, raised in an incredibly sheltered, um, environment just like me she was raised christian like me it didn't work out like i'm not with the woman that i fell in love with when i was 18 that's like a, a crazy thing that like they tell you is normal in the church um and we broke up and as a result i was like back in this space where i feel unmoored i have no clue how to interface with the real world and i was like this sucks. I guess I'll go back to church. So I started going to um, North Coast because I had friends who were also had moved back home. And they, you know, I had heard that there were a bunch of young people my age who were Christian hanging out at North Coast. So I decided to start going there. And it was, it was really cool. I had a great time there. And I really, because I'd like had this period of time where I like had left, I like wanted to dive in like even more to like prove to my parents. I wanted to prove to people that knew that I, you know, I had a, a girlfriend and, you know, I'd, I'd lost my virginity to her, but like it wasn't, you know, I wasn't telling everyone that, but like I had, I had friends that were close to me who were aware. Um, I wanted to like jump in twice as hard. So, I was at North Coast. I started interning for their youth group. I was like fully, you know, as bought in as I could. Um, but I felt incredibly lonely still. Like for so much of my life, um, you know, I'd been reaching out and like praying, you know, by myself, you know, just asking for, for guidance from God and just wanting to like, tell him my struggles and like let you know i'm i'm told that this person's here and i want to communicate with them i want to tell them that like i'm not doing well i'm i'm struggling i don't like myself i have all these issues and i just felt like i was like talking to a brick wall for so much of my life and you know it's intensifying especially now that i'm in this young adult group um and like I've had like a small taste of what life is like outside of that. Like I had started, I, I got a job in that time period when I left the church. Um, I had coworkers who weren't Christian and I had coworkers who were gay. And like, there were definitely people at 
Calvary when we were growing up who I know now are gay. They were just deeply closeted. But like when you're raised in that environment, you don't have any, um, you don't have any like idea of what a gay person is because it's all, um, it's all like a constructed like thing that like older people tell you, like it's a stereotype of like what a gay person is. Um, like I even have, uh, an aunt who's gay, but like growing up, I didn't perceive her as that she was just my aunt. She was my cool aunt with a mullet. Um, I didn't think like that's my, my lesbian aunt. She was just my aunt who I thought was cool. Um, but then like, once you leave the environment and you start to like reckon with like, Oh, like I have coworkers who are gay. I have friends who are gay and I like them and they love me and I love them back. And like, I want what's best for them. I want them, you know, to feel loved, but I see so many people around me who don't love them. And like, like there's, you know, cognitive dissonance around like, I'm told, you know, God loves all of us, but like not these people for some reason. Why is that? Um, so I'd begun to like have like little areas where I'm having breaks with it. Like I had sex before marriage. So like I realized like it was a big deal when it first happened, but then I realized it isn't like that big of a deal really. So like going back into the church environment and like running into other people who also had lost their virginity and then were like, but I'm a born again virgin now. I was like, I don't really think it works that way. Mm -hmm. And that's also not something I'm terribly interested in. Like it was never something that I was like, yeah, I guess I'm just going to not do it until marriage again. Like that doesn't make any sense either. Like I've had sex. I know like it's important to be like sexually compatible with someone. And like the idea of just like, okay, I'm going to cover my eyes for that specific, um, you know, area of our relationship again and just like go into a blind didn't make sense to me. Um, and like that alienates you in the group as well. Cause I wasn't like, I wasn't like terribly secret about it. Like I was honest about the fact that I wasn't a virgin and also that like, I'm not a virgin and I'm not like just trying to like sleep with anyone at any time around here. But like, I'm, it's something that should happen at some point, ideally, if like we are committed to each other and that's something that we want to do. So I'm feeling like even more alienation about that, especially because like we're still doing youth group, like guy time circles. And it's a bunch of guys who are like in their twenties who are like, I had lust today. And I'm just like, what, why are we still talking about this? Like, this isn't that important. Like, Oh, like I had, me and my girlfriend fell into temptation and like, I, I moved my hand a little too high in a place that like, it shouldn't have been like, why are we like still having this like KGB, like snitch culture around like stuff that like should just be between you and your partner. Like that's super embarrassing for your partner. Like, cause now everyone knows that like you're doing that with them and like it becomes everyone's business, which like I wasn't comfortable with. So I'm continuing to like, I'm honest with myself, but like when I'm in those environments, I'm like, I don't really want to tell these people about like how I live my life. Cause I don't think they can comprehend it. I don't think they can understand it 
or have any like good advice to give me. Like, especially when people are like talking to me, like, oh, what's it like? Like, oh, like, all must have been so cool. And I'm like, yeah, like, but it's not that big of a deal. Like, you're putting way too much pressure on it. And it's gonna, you're gonna have like, it's not gonna meet your expectations. And it's gonna be rough for you when you eventually get to that point. So, because I have gay friends, because I have, um, I've lost my virginity, I'm starting to feel like even more dissonance. And I'm feeling even further and further apart from all of the people that um, are in my cohort. And it like all reached like a crescendo. Um, one night I was still on staff. I was still an intern. I was still heavily involved in the ministry. I'm going to, you know, Thursday night services. I'm going, I'm like working at the church for free, you know, as an unpaid employee. That's how committed I am to this. Um, and I'm in a, a nighttime, you know, worship service session. And I just felt like so alone. And I, I had been feeling like that for, for months where I'm, I didn't really want to sing. So I really hated the idea of being false. I really hated the idea of like pretending like everything was okay when it wasn't. And I didn't, I felt like it was, I was being disrespectful to myself and I felt like I was being disrespectful to other Christians who like did take it really seriously. Um, so I'd begun to like think that I didn't believe anymore, but I was still holding on because of like cultural reasons. So many people in my life were still Christian. So many of my friends were Christian. I didn't want to, um, I really didn't want to disappoint my parents. That was like the big thing that for, for many years kept me in was I really just wanted my parents to be proud of me and to think that I was doing the right thing and was doing a good job. So I stayed in it because, you know, I didn't want to disappoint them. I wanted to be the, the good son because I'm the, the oldest of three brothers. I wanted to be the good example. And I'm sitting in this worship service. I'm not standing up. I'm not singing. I'm just sitting there, just feeling alone and just trying to like reckon with my thoughts. And I I thought to myself, I was like, if if I die right now, am I gonna be okay with the way that like I've treated other people and you know, the way that I've conducted myself? Am I gonna feel okay about that? Am I is that something that I can, you know, if I died right now, would I be happy with that? And I thought to myself, yeah, honestly, I feel pretty good. I don't think I need to like keep feeling so bad about myself about all this stuff because it's obviously, it's not making me feel better. I feel worse. If anything, I feel unequal to the standard that's been set for me for a lot of things that seem pretty arbitrary and didn't make a ton of sense. Um, so I like, came to this realization, which is incredibly inconvenient when you're on staff in the middle of a worship service and you're like, oh, I feel peace about, you know, whether I die or not. And I don't have to like fear hell or getting judged by God once, once I die, I feel okay. And I was like, oh, cool. 
but also not cool because now I have to tell everyone that this is how I feel. So I I didn't do it right away. I remember I had like a week where I I told people that I really really trusted in that church who I'm still friends with today. Um, I was like, hey, I don't think I'm a Christian anymore. And I, I hope that you don't, I hope that you don't judge me for that. And I hope that we can continue to be friends. I don't know how I'm going to deal with this considering I'm like very involved in this community and, you know, I am on staff here and everyone knows who I am. Um, and I talked to some of my friends and then I decided I, I went in, um, to the leaders at, uh, the Jordan, you know, who were the leaders at the Jordan at the time. And I told them, um, I'm going to resign from being an intern here because I'm not a Christian anymore. And I don't want to, I don't want to lie to you guys. And I certainly don't want to lie to everyone else in the congregation who feels like this is something that's very important to them because it's disrespectful to them and it's disrespectful to me to, you know, to pretend like I'm still on board with everything. Um, and so that was the moment when like, I actually like, that's the hard break moment where I decided I wasn't going to be in the church anymore. Um, it took a little bit longer for my, for me to tell my parents that was much, a, a much more frightening prospect for me. Like telling my friends and people that like, I know, from church that I'm not a Christian anymore. There were plenty of people who I don't hang out with anymore as a result of that. Like I don't see them because I'm not at church. We're not really friends anymore. Um, but there are definitely other people who continue to be my friends. So I wasn't like, I wasn't that afraid, but the idea of letting my parents down like that was really, really frightening. And definitely the reason why I stayed longer than I probably should have and telling them was horrible. It was horrible. It was funny. It's funny now looking back at it, but at the time it was unpleasant because I had gotten my dogs high. Like I accidentally, I had begun smoking weed at some point and I had like an edible brownie. And I was like still living with my parents and I, I told them, um, you know, like, uh, I'm just, you know, I'm reading, you know, by myself, I'm, I'm trying to figure some things out. I'm stepping away from the church for a little bit. Um, but I was just like really trying to figure out how I was going to break it to them. And, uh, the only way it happened was when it was completely out of my hands, I, had left that brownie on the floor and my dogs had gotten into it and had gotten incredibly high and it freaked my dogs out. And then my parents came home and I told them what happened with the dogs. And I decided, <laughs> I don't know why I did this, but I decided, well, I'm getting this bad conversation out of the way right now. I'm just going to get all of them out all at once. I'm just going to knock them all out of the park in one conversation. So I was like, Oh, and also I'm not Christian, which made things like a million times worse. And caused a lot of, you know, waterworks and tears. Every, it was really, it was very rough that night. I'm lucky that my parents and I have a good relationship 
now, you know, several years on, and that it's not something that like forever colored our relationship. Mm -hmm. I feel really fortunate about that, that like, I still have a good relationship with my parents and we still love each other. But like, that was something that was like my biggest fear during that time period was like letting my parents know that I wasn't a Christian anymore. Like I literally, it's crazy to say, but I thought it would be easier to come out as gay to my parents than it would be to tell them that I wasn't a Christian anymore. That's how terrified of the prospect of telling my parents that I don't believe in God anymore was. That's like how big a deal it was to my parents, like in my family, in my you know community. I was horrified of that possibility. Um, and it was painful at first, but uh, now that it's been all these years later, I'm glad that it happened because now we can have like an actual relationship that isn't just built around me being, you know, the model son. It's, I can have a relationship with my parents, you know, based on who I actually am. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. It's a lot. Um, I know. I was hoping you would like break in and like ask, <laughs> you know, all, some questions all the questions. I felt like I was, I was. No, all the questions I wanted to ask you, like I would, I would like, okay, I'm going to ask, but then you would like answer it. Like almost as if you knew what I was going to ask you. <laughs> um, but I guess the question would be, um, how has this process and now being several years along the road um, in this shift mentally and how has is, how is this process of like deconstructing your faith shaped your understanding of spirituality meaning purpose of life etc mm -hmm. I'd say you know there was never, I, when I hear a lot of people talk about their deconstructions, a lot of people, I feel like, come at it, like, it starts for them as, like, a really intellectual thing, mm -hmm. and it never really, I don't know if it ever felt like that for me. I think the main, like, it was all just because, like, I felt lonely, and then the moment I let go of, like, this fear of like, if I die, you know, like, I'm gonna have to answer for every single bad thing that I've done, like, everyone's, gonna, you know, I'm gonna go up to God, and I'm gonna be judged on all of that. The moment I stopped worrying about it, like, it kind of just like, disappeared, I stopped thinking about it. I don't even consider myself like a spiritual person at all these days. I don't have any spiritual, you know, inklings or anything. And like, I don't, it's like annoying to be like the atheist guy. Like no one <laughs> likes that. No one wants yeah. to hear like, I, I don't want to be like Mr. Debunker. That's not like the energy that I ever want to put out. Um, so like I pretty much like I felt good, you know, once I left the church um, and yep. like there are definitely, there are definitely plenty of things that still, um, that I still like deal with as a result of like growing up in that environment. Like yeah. I still, I, I, a lot of, 
uh, a lot of it has like healed over time, but um, like there's definitely still like lingering things from like purity culture and like masculinity and stuff that I've had to deal with. But those things like just happened naturally once I like left the church and started like meeting people who weren't like me and like learning about them and their life experiences and like being empathetic towards them. Um, but like, yeah, I, it, it was crazy. Like going from an environment where like your spirituality is like, so, so important. Mm -hmm. Um, but never like, I never really felt like that spiritual, even when I was a Christian, like, I'd read the Bible because it was something that I knew I was supposed to do. I guess like yeah. the closest thing that I would feel would be like in worship. Like I just like listening to live music, I guess I, yeah. I enjoy like being at a concert and like beating off the energy in a room. Um, and then like, so going from that where like, it's so important and you're thinking about it all the time, even though like I didn't feel it for a lot of the time you know once i finally like let go of it I, I never had to like intellectualize it or i never had to like go through you know debunking creationism boot camp like i started doing yeah. all of that stuff like once i was you know out of the environment i was like oh let's examine some of these other beliefs that i have as a result of that oh that doesn't really line up with you know all of my other values that i have now oh this other thing I don't, I don't need that. Um, but yeah, like it, it took like a few years. There was definitely like a period of time as well. Um, like immediately afterwards where I was playing into being antagonistic for sure. Because I was like, I was sick of people just like popping off about, stuff like on social media and like yeah. being like cruel and uncaring about like people that I care about. So like you reach like a point where you're like, okay, like I value my friendships with the people that I spend time with more than someone that I grew up with who hates gay people. Like I'm, I have to make that choice. I have to, I have to decide like I'm going to put a line in the sand and I'm going to say, this is where I stand on it. And like, you can be upset about it, but that's how I feel. And like, you have to deal with it. Yeah. Like how you said, you you don't want to be Mr. Debunker. Um, I think that's really good. Uh, I don't think a lot of people realize that once you stop defending yourself and defending the decisions you've made, there's actually a lot of freedom, um, especially in talking that, you know, cause we both grew up in the same church of, everything growing up was all about proving the exist existence of God. And, um, you know, we've read the books and we've sat through those, uh, hours long sessions at summer camp on how to prove against like all the other religions and stuff. And so, whereas the culture is totally, there's like such a, there's like such a premium on like apologetics and like yeah. defending what you believe and mm -hmm. like, once I left it, I didn't like feel that pressure anymore. Like I, yeah, I didn't, I was like, I'm tired of like, I shouldn't have to like have like all this data to like mm -hmm. say like, Oh, this is what I believe. Like yeah, plenty of things are pretty like self-evident. Like 
I don't need to like have a bunch of like cooked science to defend mm-hmm. it. Like, it's, yeah, that was that was the thing that was rough too. Is like, I felt really educationally left behind. Honestly, mm-hmm. like, I was given a bunch of essentially junk science that didn't you know prepare me for the real world like you jump from like a private christian school and then you start going to like a public you know university or community college and you're like oh i don't have any understanding of like fundamental like high school level science i don't know how i'm going to survive here yeah that's just it just i'm bummed bummed about that because i feel like you missed out yeah I feel like left behind. Mm. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it just goes back to everything you were saying um, of like purity culture and um, not feeling able to fit in. Yeah, like and needing to defend everything and and like prove yourself to to these to these seniors in high school and continue to prove yourself to fit in the community and it's just like there was no freedom in any of that for you to be the Joel you wanted to be. But now, now that you've, you've grown in so many other ways, you're, you're able to look back and be like, you know, I don't, I don't want to, you, you confidently said you don't want to be that Mr. Debunker. And then now I, I hope you're finding freedom in that. Yeah. I, I do honestly find a lot of freedom in that. Like I live in a town that is pretty religious and, mm-hmm we constantly get people coming up like knocking on the door like as missionaries like i get mormon missionaries like almost every week like coming and knocking and want to you know talk about god to me and um like i'm it's i know for a fact that like there's no like set of data points that i could tell these guys um that's going to be like oh you've opened my eyes. Now I, I totally see this religion for what it is. And I'm going to, I'm going to leave it immediately. Like, I don't believe that's going to happen. That's just evangelism of a different stripe. Like Mm -hmm. when people come up and they want to talk to me about it, I am just honest with them. I tell them the exact same thing that I tell you. Like I grew up in the church. I was completely enveloped in it and it made me feel extremely lonely and alienated from all the people that I grew up with. And once I let go of a lot of the things that I was raised believing were an absolute truth, and there was you couldn't question it at all, you couldn't contradict it, you had to accept it on face value. Once I started um, like reckoning with myself and learning how to actually love myself and not thinking I'm just a sinful person who's bound for hell, you know, but, but for the love of Christ, I started becoming more happy and I didn't, I didn't need it anymore because I, the reason I was staying was because I was frightened. I was frightened of hell. I was frightened of like demons being behind everything. Like there was definitely a real emphasis on spiritual warfare. A lot of times, you know, growing up, um, I remember like we weren't allowed to watch Harry Potter. We weren't allowed to play Mm -hmm. with Pokemon. Like all these things are, you know, you're told are like gateways for like bad spirits to get into your life. Um, and like when you're raised in this culture and you're just afraid of everything, once you stop fearing it, 
like it, it stops having power over you and you just like feel normal and happy for like the first time. You're like, oh, this is crazy. People just like walk along, like they walk through life like this, not feeling like intense guilt and shame about like really small decisions that they make throughout their day and like policing their thoughts. That's crazy. Like this, this is nuts. Um, yeah. So like, I've always found that that's a much, that's a much more effective way to interact with people. Like when missionaries come up to my door, I'm not going to, sometimes I can be in a bad mood and I'll just be like, I'm sorry, I'm an atheist. I don't want to talk about this. And they're like, Oh, is there anyone else in the house? Or they like, they want to talk. And I'm like, no, they're all atheists too. And like, you know, you shut the door. But like, if I'm feeling like I want to talk to them, I'll be totally, I'll, I'll be loving towards them. I tell them like, Hey, like, I grew up in an environment similar to yours and I left and I'm okay. You don't have to fear. Like if I leave, I'm going to go through a prodigal son type experience. I'm going to lose everything. And, you know, someone's going to find me eating, you know, slop out of a pig trough. Like it's okay if this isn't for you. And like, if it is for you, that's cool for you too. Like I, I don't mind the only, the only time I, get upset is when like your beliefs start to infringe on, you know, other people and their freedom and like the way that they want to live their life. Mm. Um, and you know, in 2016, that became like a really big deal. I think that was like the moment where I started to like decide I saw so many people that I grew up with who you know, I thought we're very loving towards me personally and we're very kind to me and poured into my life as a young man. You know, I start seeing them, you know, supporting Donald Trump and being fully on board for all these things that are like the complete opposite of all of the, uh, all the tenets of the faith that we were told, you know, were so important growing up. And like, you know, when we grew up, like they were still believing those same things. Like we were all told like George W. Bush was like a super godly man and like he could do no wrong and we should support him no matter what, because he's a Christian guy. Mm-hmm. And I remember um like when Obama got elected, I was told to hate him. I didn't really yeah. realize like why I was never like given a real reasons. Just he wasn't right wing and he didn't just like flat out pander to the church. Um mm-hmm. Like that was, that's another thing about like our specific church growing up is like it like being Christian was also synonymous with being like a right wing Republican in that environment. There was like no debate. Like I remember Mr. Standiford was like kind of like liberal ish and everyone treated him like he was Fidel Castro. And it was just like very, very crazy that just like, yeah. There's only one school of thought politically and it's like so tied into um it's so tied into like the church's culture itself. Um like going to the school, we as kids, as students, protested prop eight, like the like yeah. making gay marriage legal in California. Like that's yeah. something that I look back as an adult and I I feel shame about that. But like, I, I have a good reason to feel shame about that because like, I was like being used as a prop and I didn't yeah. really have like any idea of like 
what a gay person was, even though I had people in my class who were gay, who were like sitting next to me every single day. And like, we're all out protesting and saying like, people who are like this shouldn't have rights. They shouldn't be allowed to marry. They should continue to be ostracized from society. Um, yeah. I, I know. I remember like, that's, a, that's I remember, insane. I remember one other time we, um, it was like for 40 days of life or something. We protested abortion at an abortion clinic. Um, here in San Marcos actually. Mm-hmm. And I cringe every time I think about that. <laughs> Um, mainly because I drive by it every single day, <laughs> and I'm like, ah, oh, remember that time when I was in mm-hmm. high school and we stood on this corner with a bunch of signs about anti-abortion? But now as an adult, I'm like, it's so much more complicated and complex than I just want right. to kill babies. And so, um, but totally. I think I, if you feel if you feel embarrassed about that, imagine how I felt. I created like an anti-abortion like group on MySpace and like invited mm-hmm. every single one of my friends to like, and yeah, like I felt like a ton of pride, like being like the moderator of like an anti-abortion MySpace group. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah, it's, it's just like, you're given like political positions, like as a kid and n- it's never like explained to you why all of these things are bad. And like, they present it to you in like the most simplistic, you know, version possible. Like yeah. abortion is wrong because it's literally murdering babies. Like there's yeah. no, there's no explanation to the nuance of that situation at all. There's no explanation about like, there are times when a medical abortion is necessary because it's going to kill the child and the mother. Like the, these things aren't discussed yeah. because they complicate like a very black and white issue in the church's mind. Same with like gay people. Like, yeah. obviously, if you're a gay person, there's no way you could have, you know, any spiritual beliefs. Like, a gay Christian, what is that? Like, uh, being a, a Christian Satanist? Like, that's an oxymoron to everyone in that environment. Um, and, like, you're just presented, like, you're presented, like, constructions, like, literal straw men of what the church thinks about each of these things. Like, we were told about, like, the gay agenda a ton growing up, which is just like you see a movie where a gay person uh, doesn't like fall into a vat of acid as a result of like them being gay. Like any, any gay people being, you know, presented positively is like an agenda according to like the people that we grew up with. Um, So like mm -hmm. when you start to, you start to like become friends with people and you start to like, they are willing to be honest with you and like say, Oh, like, I'm gay. I'm telling you this because I trust you. Like I had multiple people come out to me when I was still in the church and they were still in the church because they thought I was um, a safe person and that I wouldn't judge them. Um, And like you, you start to think like, why, why do I have to be a safe person for, for them? Like, why can't they just be honest about this? Like if that's, who they are like they should be able to be comfortable in who they are like everyone else is um but that's like it's something you don't even question because you're just given like a construction of what a gay person is you don't have any idea about like this person in your class is gay this person next to you is gay someone else that like you grew up with like 
the reason why they're so sad and withdrawn is because they feel really alone because they can't be honest about the way that they feel with everyone, you know, in their group. Mm -hmm. Um, I think this is a, um, well, not to kind of cut off, but we're kind of coming at time and I want to end on two, two questions. Um, the first would be, what advice would you give someone, um, maybe who has grown up with similar experiences as you or is um, going through that currently? Um, I'd say just like learn to love yourself. Mm. Like that, that was so huge um, for me, like was learning to not just like nitpick every small um shortcoming in my life and continue to think that like i'm unworthy of love except for god's love um like i shouldn't even love myself because so much of me is sinful like be kind to yourself like you don't have to you don't have to hate yourself um and if you continue down that path it like it leads to your own destruction like either like the destruction of like your physical life or like the destruction of like your, your sense of yourself, like who you are, you just like destroy that and become whatever version of yourself that other people want. Like if I could tell my young self anything during that time period, I'd want to tell them like, it's, it's okay, man, you're, you're doing okay. Everything's going to be all right. You don't have to feel so bad about yourself. Like, you have friends who love you, your parents love you, your family loves you, like, you should love yourself. There's a reason why all of these people feel that way about about you. You should be able to love yourself as well. Um, that That's that's what I'd want to tell people who are in that. Because, like, once, once you start loving yourself, um, you know, you can make better decisions about, I don't know, like, your, your spiritual beliefs. Because if you if your spiritual life comes from a place of loving yourself, you're much more better equipped to love other people. If you hate yourself and you hate the things inside of you that you see as, as sinful, you're going to hyper-focus on the things that you see as sinful in other people. And that's just what you're going to project outwards. You're not going to be giving people love if you dislike yourself. You're only going to be spreading negativity and hatred. It's all really good advice, and I second all of it. Um, last question would be, what do you want people to know about Joel Frizzy? Whether they have grew up with you or just now hearing about you the first time on this podcast, um, what do you want people to, to walk away from this conversation listening in to know about you? Hmm. That's a tough question. Um... I don't know. I want people to know that uh, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm an inclusive person now. Like I have so many different kinds of friends now, and it's made my life so much richer than when I was in like a super homogenous, toxic environment where like I I wanted to, you know, fulfill myself to this mold of masculinity that everyone else around me wanted me to be. Um, like meeting other people and being friends with so many other people has led to me 
being a much more complete and loving and open person. Um, like the stuff I want to say is, you know, black lives matter, trans lives matter, um, solidarity with gay people and oppressed people all over the world. That's, that's what I want people to know about me. Um, I, I love people. I'm, I'm here to skate. I'm here to have a, a good time. I'm here to, to be friends with you. If that's something that you're interested in. Um, if, you remember me from being in the church and you thought I was friendly to you. I'd love to hear that, you know, I had a positive impact on you. If when I was in the church, I said something hurtful to you or I did something that hurt you. I want you to know that I'm deeply sorry for that. And that's not who I am anymore. Um, and I, I hope you can forgive me for, for being probably not great to you during that time period. That's all I want to know. That's all I want to say. Well, thank you for sharing your story and your journey. Um, and I definitely do um, look back on our time together growing up as kids and I, and then into junior high and high school. And I definitely think you were always, you're always nice to me. Um, and I am appreciative of that. Hey, we, uh, we did the talk show together. We did. We did when the the air band that one year and then we were on the soccer team and we didn't score a single goal. Um, I think that's, that was, that was legendary. We were pretty hilarious. And then we ran cross country. I, I, I had a lot of good country. memories. Of that. Yeah, that's right. We were in cross country. Mm-hmm. Together. I have a lot of good memories of that talent show. That was a lot of fun. We played the fatal wound by yep. switchfoot. That was good stuff. Yep. Just you and I filling in for the whole band. That was crazy. Um, and then I, I think about, um, I was like, I think about when we were kids and you guys lived in, uh, uh um, the old McKay house. And then we, you would, we would set up the ramps, yeah. but I wasn't, I wasn't ever good at skating. I was always, uh, I was always the one under the ramp uh-huh. and you, you and Aaron would jump over me on skateboards and whatever. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was really cool. Yeah. I have, I have nothing but good memories of you. I was so excited when I found out that you were doing this podcast because I, I'd been talking with people um, mm-hmm. who also, you know, grew up in the community. Like I had been talking with Ashlyn, um, yeah. one of the previous guests uh, for many years. She was someone that I was always, you know, very open with. Even when we were both Christians, we had a very close relationship growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, a few other people who grew up in the church. Um, and so I was really excited to see that you were you were doing this and you were giving people um, who were either still Christian or who had left the faith and he'd, who had deconstructed, you yeah. know, a space to talk about their experience, you know, growing up in the environment and, you know, criticisms that they may have of that environment and, you know, talking about how they are now and, mm-hmm. you know, giving people advice who may still be in that environment on, you know, how to love themselves or survive or, you know do whatever you got to do to, to get out or stay in, you know, whatever makes you happy and feel loved. Yep. Well, thank you. Um, hopefully we can talk again. We can talk again soon. Now that we know we're both in the same general I'd love to. geographic location. Yeah. I'd love to talk again. Um, you want to hang out in person or you want to have me back on the podcast? I'm always willing to talk. Tight. I'll reach out. I'll let you know. Sounds good. Thanks for having me on, Nick. All right. Thank you, Joel. Have a good night.
You too. Bye.